Church, let's stand all over this house tonight. And why don't we lift up our hands to the Lord? He is so good to us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you are so good. Lord, we worship you, Jesus. God, we lift up your holy name. Hallelujah. Oh, that's it. Why don't we lift him up? He's so worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are so good, Jesus. We have a lot of needs to take to the Lord tonight. We've got several out tonight because of the fires in Estill County are, are in, in close proximity to their homes. And we want to take that need before the Lord. There's a lot of people in danger tonight. There's a lot of people's homes and properties that are being threatened. And, and we know a God. We know a God who can step in. And so we're going to take that need to him. We want to pray for Sister Mary Howard tonight. She's asked for a prayer. She's very sick. We also want to lift up Sister Terry Burton. She's in the hospital tonight. That's where my husband is. And we want to lift up her in prayer. She's got some fractures in her vertebrae and her back, and she's also got pneumonia. And so we believe that God can touch her tonight. Amen. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. He's a God who heals. And let's take our faith to him tonight, our belief, knowing that he's going to step in, in Jesus' name. Lord God, we ask that you move on every knee, Lord Jesus. Touch Sister Mary Howard tonight. Lord, this sickness in her body, Lord God, we speak healing in the name of Jesus. Oh God, we speak your comfort and your protection tonight in Estill County and every fire that's taking place right now. Lord God, step in. Step in with your mighty hand of protection. Step in with miracle working power. God, we speak a hedge around your people. We speak a hedge around their homes and their property. In the name of Jesus, that you would keep them with your safety, with your power. In Jesus' name, God, we declare it by the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. Lord, move on Sister Terry Burton tonight. Move on her with miraculous healing into her lungs, into her back. We speak healing in the name of Jesus. We stand on your word. We stand on your promises. You're a good God. You're a faithful God. Oh, we worship you, God. We thank you for moving, Lord. We thank you for touching every hurting body tonight. We thank you for moving on every mind and heart tonight, Jesus. Let your peace and your joy come down in this place. In the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord God. We worship you, Jesus. Oh, let's thank him for it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, God. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We're going to worship the Lord in song tonight. If you want to give in your offering tonight, we've got our offering box down here in the front. And let's bring our offering, let's bring our worship to him. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Because, because. 
Because he first. Sing it again. 
It is good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Um, when we think about all the places that we could be tonight, we've got brothers and sisters in situations tonight that they don't want to be in, right? We've got people in the hospital tonight, and I thank God that it's not me, right? We could be a lot of other places. We've got people tonight that unfortunately are feeling worried about their homes and worried about, about their families and a lot of different places we could be tonight, but God has been good. We're here. Amen. We're here. I thank God that I'm in his presence tonight. He is so good. It's been so good to have Sister Rosie Plowman with us tonight. Glad you were able to be with us. And Sister Raynetta, did I say it? I got, I got it right. Brother Edward's mother is with us tonight. So good to have you. And uh, we knew you were coming, and I, I feel so bad that you don't get to hear my husband preach tonight, and he doesn't get to meet you tonight and, and talk with you. Um, but now you were here on Sunday morning. That's right. Yes, that's right. You snuck out. Uh, Brother Edward, you've been such a blessing to us it, to see God working in your life and, and what he's doing. And that spirit of prayer that you brought with you last night to prayer meeting, listen, that did something to me. Hey, when God does something for our brothers and sisters, it should change us. It should inspire us. When we see God working in our midst, it should do something to us. And I thank God for what he's doing. I ask that y'all be patient with me tonight. I've learned how to run the sound. I've learned how to do all kinds of things over the last couple of days. Um, my husband had already asked me, well, I had, I had volunteered. Actually, I said, if you need me to take Wednesday, I can do that because he was going to be working in Bardstown this week. He has been working in Bardstown this week. And um, so yesterday he didn't even get to come to prayer meeting. When we got home from prayer meeting, um, he still wasn't home from work. So he had a long, long day yesterday. And today he got up and drove to Bardstown and put a full day's work in and drove back and took a shower and drove to Moorhead to go to the hospital to be with his mom and get there before visiting hours were over. So uh, pray for him, pray for her, pray for his strength. And um, so I said, I can, I can handle uh, this tonight. I think normally Wednesdays are hard for me because of schoolwork, because I teach my kids. 
So we had a lot of appointments today, though, and I said, you know what, we're not doing any schoolwork today. We're going to go to all of our appointments. We're going to do all our running, and then we're going to get ready for church. Amen? So here we are. I'm going to talk tonight about the open door. I'm going to talk tonight about the open door, and we talk a lot about God opening doors for us, and he does do that. He absolutely opens doors for us, and his word speaks about an open door that he has set before us. And God will continue to open doors for his church and for his people. Amen. He's going to continue to do that. But I don't want to talk tonight about being the recipient of an open door. I want to talk about being the open door. I want to talk tonight about being the open door. And as God's people, sometimes we are guilty of waiting on God to fulfill his will and his promises when actually he's waiting on us to be the working vessel that he can use to bring about his will and his promise, right? We're, we're guilty of sitting back and saying, okay, God, do it. And he's saying, well, actually, I'm waiting on you to do it. I'm waiting on you. You're, you're who I'm trying to use to make this happen. And we can be that vessel that God uses. I started thinking about this with the story of Cornelius, and that's what I'm mainly going to talk about tonight with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. But first, I want to give you a little bit of the backstory, and this actually goes right in line with what my husband has been teaching. He's been talking about um, stewarding um, the mystery and, and teaching on that, and I'm going to kind of be in the same vein. In fact, I might be stepping on a little bit of his material. I asked him if it was okay, though, and he said it was. So um, he said, that's fine. You can talk about that. I don't, I'm not to that part yet. So um, if he repeats it, uh, we'll probably bring different things to it. A amen. We'll bring different things to it. But first, let's talk about the backstory. See, the plan of God was foreordained. The purpose of Jesus was from, he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was always God's plan to bring redemption. It always was. And it was even part of his plan to bring redemption to the people who were not just his covenant people by birth, not just the biological seed of Abraham, but the prophets talked about the word going forth to all nations, the gospel for all the nations. The prophets foretold it. Jesus talked about it when he told his disciples, go ye therefore into all nations. It was always part of the plan to bring everybody into, into this, the whole world into this. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost is finally poured out. This is that. That was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It finally happens in Acts chapter 2, but only for the Jews. When we read about Acts chapter 2, and we shout about it, and we should shout about it, and we talk about everything that happened, and 3,000 were added to the church in one day, that was only the Jews. That was just the Jewish people. But then in Acts chapter 10, we get to Acts chapter 10, the door flings open wide, and it really becomes the whole gospel to the whole world, right? The door opens for all of us, and that's why I love the story of Cornelius, because he's, he's the reason I get to be part of this. 
He's the reason we were able to access it, even though we weren't the covenant people. Cornelius opened the door wide. Cornelius was the open door. He was the open door. It was a promise fulfilled. There was a prophecy. God had given a promise. Jesus had talked about the promise. But it took a man named Cornelius to be the open door to bring about the promise. You with me? Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Cornelius was a Roman. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Now, there was no question about it. Cornelius was a Roman. Now, we can look at the story about how Peter and Quentin preached to the Sumerians, right? And Samaria, well, they were part Jewish, right? They had, they had somewhat of a claim to the covenant, although they were considered outcast by the Jewish people, right? They had a claim. They're, they could say, hey, we were born into this, right? And even the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, I believe, when Philip talked with the Ethiopian eunuch, scholars believe he probably was of some Hebrew descent, just lived in Ethiopia, and he was reading the scriptures, and God wanted to reveal to him the truth, and here comes Philip. God just drops him right there, and there you go, and then he takes him elsewhere. It's an amazing story. But that Ethiopian eunuch probably had Hebrew lineage. But Cornelius, he was Roman through and through. He had no claim to the promise by birth. He had no Jewish heritage. From what we can tell, no one taught him how to live for God. You hear me? No one taught him how to live for God. No one that we can tell even taught him about the one true God. The Roman culture that he was raised in certainly did not. If you know anything about the Roman theology, well, they had a God for this and for that and for everything, and boy, what a mess it was. It was a big soap opera happening with all the gods they had going on. They didn't know about the one true God. Now, there would have been Jewish people probably interspersed that had been scattered, and maybe he saw some of them living. Maybe he, he looked in on their lives and he said, wow, I need to know about that. I need to know about the God that they serve. Maybe that's what happened. We don't get that detail in his story. We don't understand what brought him in contact with the one true God. All we know is he wasn't born into it. He, his mama didn't tell him. His daddy didn't tell him, right? Listen, I've been apostolic my whole life. Cut my teeth on this. Fell asleep under more pews than I can count, right? I've slept through more Holy Ghost than most people in this world have ever felt. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I have been blessed. I've been blessed. Cornelius didn't have that. But you know what he had? He had a hunger for the one true God. He had a hunger. And you know what? That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter who your mama is, your daddy. It doesn't matter. It just matters the hunger that you have for the one true God. Now, verse 2 says, that Cornelius was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Now, I want to break this down. I want to talk about how Cornelius, this Roman man, seemingly insignificant, right? We don't know why God chose him. Well, but this verse kind of gives us some insight into why he became that open door. He was a devout man. So Cornelius was a man whose life was defined 
by his hunger for God. You hear what I'm saying? His lifestyle reflected his desire for the things of God. He was a devout man. That word also means godly. He was a godly man. He wasn't a person who said, hey, I'm interested in knowing about God and I'm hungry for God, but his lifestyle said something different, right? No, his lifestyle told you where his desire was. He was devout. He was godly. He feared the Lord. Now, I've taught about the fear of the Lord before. And this fear of the Lord is not like a cowering fear where we're afraid of God and he's up here about to push the smite button and we're waiting, just looking. Any minute, God's going to smite. No, that's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is positioning. We know God's law is certain. We know that it's settled and I want to live within it. I don't want to be on the outside beating my head against it, right? I want to position myself within God's principles, within God's law, because I know that's where blessing is. I know that's where protection is. I know that's where safety is. So the fear of the Lord says, well, I'm going to live myself by the law of the Lord because I know that's where the strength is. I don't want to be beating my head up against it, right? Some people want to get mad at God for the things that happen to them in their lives. But that's like getting mad at gravity. Nobody gets mad at gravity when you go, if I just go running off here and I won't do it because I won't do it. I just won't do it. Right? But, it, I mean, I just go running off, you know, running off a hill somewhere, and guess what? I'm going to fall. And I'm not going to look at God and say, why did you do this to me? Because gravity is certain. We know what happens when we tempt gravity. We lose. Right? It's the same thing with the law of the Lord. His law is certain. It's not just God looking back and saying, well, they did this and now I'm going to punish them. No, you fall down and you scrape your knee. That was gravity. That's the same way with the law of the Lord. And when we respect it, just like we respect gravity, when we respect his law, we respect his principles, we say, hey, I want to live within his law and his principle because I know that's how to be successful. That's the fear of the Lord. Well, Cornelius had that. He feared God with all his house. Now, I love this because Cornelius wasn't just a man who said, well, this is what's working for me, but, you know, I'm just going to let I, these kids, I'm going to let them do what they want to do. No, he said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This is how we're going to do things. This is how, this is where blessing is. This is where protection is. This is where provision is. And as for me and my house, this is how we're going to do things. The next part, it says that he was a giver. He gave much alms to the people. He was charitable. He would give. He wasn't stingy. He wasn't selfish. He wasn't ruled by the love of money. He wasn't greedy. He gave. And he prayed to God always. Always. He prayed frequently. He prayed faithfully. This was a man who had a life of prayer. And I just wish I know how he got there. You know, I wish I know how, how did he know. It's easy for us, church. It's easy for us to know what to do, to know how to live a godly life. We've got this word. We've got this place that we come. We've got examples all around us of people who are living godly lives. And we can look to them as an example how did he know? How did he know? The only thing I can figure is that when you're hungry 
God shows you. When you're hungry, God says, here's what you need to do. And he must have been so hungry for God, for the one true God, that God said, well, I want you to give. And he said, okay, I'm going to give. Well, I want you to pray. Okay, well, I'm going to pray. Okay, this is what you want, Lord. Well, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever it is, that's what I'm going to do. He was a praying man. He was a giving man. He was a godly man. Now, I'm going to skip to verse 30 of that chapter. Oh, it's going to get fun now because Cornelius said four days ago I was fasting. So he also fasted. Now, we're, it got real quiet when I said that he fasted. We're heading into a season of feasting, and so this is not normally when we talk about fasting. But Cornelius fasted. Again, how did he know? How did he know? I don't know how he knew, but he knew, and he fasted. And so we look at the things that he did. He prayed. He gave. He fasted. Well, we, there's a place in Scripture where we see this pattern. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us, in a sermon, a list of expectations. Now, I know that in the modern-day church world, we want to try to think, well, I can just come to God the way I am. Well, thank you, Lord, for that. We can. His grace, his mercy, it's, it's incredible. But God's not going to expect anything from me. Well, the sermons of Jesus Christ tell us otherwise. They tell us that he gave us some commandments to live by. He gave us some expectations of what he expected from his disciples, from his followers. Now, in these passages, we're going to read three verses here. We're just going to hit them real quick. He's speaking about attitudes and about motives. But his words imply that if we're going to be his followers and his disciples, then there are some things we're going to do. Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. It says, when thou doest alms, or when you give, right? He says, let not thy left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, he's talking about attitude, but his assumption is, if you're my disciple, if you're my follower, you're going to give. Because he doesn't say if you give. He says, when you give. When you give. And when I'm talking about giving, I'm not just talking about offering, okay? Now, the truth is that money often represents our passions and our priorities. Amen? It does. But I'm also talking about time and energy and talents and other things that we could give for God. It was always God's plan and his expectation that his people would give and they would give often. Not an if. Well, if you feel like giving, this is how I want you to do it. No, when. When you give. When you give, this is the attitude you do it with. Same thing with Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. He says, but when ye pray, not if you pray, when you pray. I expect you to pray. I expect that if you're my follower, if you're my disciple, you will be a person of prayer. It's not just a calling, oh, well, some people have that special call. There are people who are called to intercessory prayer. But Jesus makes it very clear, we're all called to pray. When ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Okay, so he gives them an attitude, but he does it with the assumption, if you are mine, you will pray. When you give, when you pray. And then Matthew chapter 6, verses, verse 16, he says, moreover, when ye fast. 
Now, he brings to this the same expectation as he does to giving, as he does to prayer, that he expects us to fast. Now, I know there can be a lot of people say, well, I can't fast because A, B, C, and D. Okay, that take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what I say. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. But I will say this. In my opinion, one of the number one things that Satan has done to cripple the church is he has crippled the church with medication and with health problems and with excuses why we can't fast. Because I'm telling you, fasting is one of the most powerful tools that we can use to bring about God's purpose, his plan, the anointing of God, miracles, signs, and wonders operating in this house, the gifts of the Spirit flowing. Come on, church. It's one of the most powerful tools that we can use. But we're so far from it so often because we've got health issues and we've got medications we have to take. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. I want you to hear me. Pray for God to give you wisdom. Pray for God to give you wisdom to know, hey, Lord, I want to fast. What can I do? I want to fast. You show me. I want to fast. You help me get off this medication if it's keeping me from fasting. You show me what to do. I'm not saying, I'm not telling you to do anything. You take it to the Lord in prayer. But there is a weapon, there is a tool in our arsenal that the church is just kind of letting go by the wayside. It's gathering dust, right? But Jesus said, when ye fast. He didn't say if you fast. He said when. When you do it, this is the attitude that I want you to do it with. Now, this is what Jesus saw in a man named Cornelius. He saw a man that was giving with the right attitude, that was praying with the right attitude, that was fasting with the right attitude. He was a godly man. His lifestyle said that he feared the Lord. His decisions, even the way he ran his household, he had drawn a line in the sand and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think we can see why Cornelius was chosen. I can see why God chose him. But did you know, most scholars say that from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 10, was about 10 years. I looked about four different timelines. Three of them said 10 years. One of them said seven. Between seven to 10 years went by from the day of Pentecost when God poured out the Holy Ghost until the door finally opened to the Gentiles. 10 years. Now, I can't help but wonder, is it possible that God began looking for someone to be that open door as soon as the Holy Ghost was poured out. I mean, that's where my mind goes. My mind goes, why did it take 10 years? Why did it take 10 years for God to find somebody who was giving and praying and fasting and hungry for it? Why did it take 10 years to find someone who was willing to answer the call? Because, see, we tend to think that being chosen is something that's up to God when it's really up to us. It's really up to us. Matthew chapter 22, verse 14, and this is where I'm getting into where my husband was on Sunday. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, we, we want to think that, oh, I wish God would just choose me. Boy, if he would just choose me to do something, man, wouldn't that be awesome? If God would just choose me. That's not how it works. God has already called you. 
Many are called. The call has, you've, you've heard the call because you're here tonight. You've heard the call. God has called you, and that's his part of it. He's calling. But the choosing is up to us. Do I respond to it? Now, come on, do I respond to the call? What am I going to do with it? I've heard it. I'm here. God, I hear your voice. Now it's up to me. What am I going to do with it? Many are called. Few are chosen because few people are willing to do what it takes to respond to the call. Few people are willing to do that. Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter 22, a few verses before that. This is exactly where my husband left off when he was reading. This was the wedding feast. They went to the highways, to the byways. They called them all in, right? Remember this? We talked about this on Sunday. Uh, verse, verse 11, brother, give me that. Uh, yes, and when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Next verse. And he saith unto him, friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the next verse says, the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the next verse is where it says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Let's put that in its context. The context here was that the king said, bring them all in. Call every single one of them. I want everybody here. Go into the highways and byways. Bring everybody. Don't leave anybody out. Let the call go forth to everybody. And the man came in and he refused to put on a wedding garment. Now, a garment in scripture represents identity. The remember, the, remember the blind man? Jesus called him. He threw off his beggar's garment. He said, I don't need this anymore. I'm about to be a new person. I'm about to have a new identity. I, your identity was determined by what garment that you wore. And so this man came in, and I can only assume he said, no, I like my clothes I'm wearing. I ain't worried about your garment. I'm okay the way I am. Keep it. He said, I'm going to come on my own terms. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to worship God, but I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I'm going to come to the wedding feast, and thank you very much for feeding me and all this, but I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I don't need your identity. But the Word says that we've got to put on Christ, and there's only one way to come to Him, and Jesus is the way. And we don't get to do this thing on our own terms. We don't get to come in and say, well, this is just my personality, this is who I am, and that's that. No, Jesus said, I want you to be who I want you to be. I want you to be the person I've created for you to be. You've got to put on the garment. And when we put, how do we put on that garment? We go all in. Church, we go all in. We go all in. We become one of them, one of those peculiar people, right? Because some people want to have one foot in the world and one in the church. They want to show up at the job site and fill in, fit in with everybody else, with the conversation, with the thinking and all that. And then they want to come to church and they want to shout and do all the things you do at church. But they're not willing to own the identity that I am one of his. I am one of his. If you want to be chosen, you've got to put on that garment. You have to be all in. And it's going to change the way you talk. It's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way you act. It's going to change the way you look. It's going to change the way you live. Now, the call is going out. But our response determines whether or not we're chosen. Now, the call went out and Cornelius heard it. He said, 
God, God's calling me. I, I, I'm hungry for this God, this one true God, this Jewish God. I don't, I don't know anything about him, but I'm hungry for him. And his response was, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to fast, and I'm going to do whatever I find out is his will. If I find out it's one of his principles, that's how we're going to live. Whatever we find out about him, that's what we're going to do. When Peter came and he said, here's what you need to do, he said, all right, we've been waiting for that. We've been waiting to hear exactly what we're supposed to do. He didn't have the attitude that, well, listen, I'm, I'm a Roman, I'm a centurion, and you know, I'm going to come on my own terms. No, he didn't have that attitude. His response got God's attention, and he became the open door. Listen to this. Not just for himself. Not just for his family. But the entire world. You hear what I'm saying? The entire world was impacted by this one man's willingness to be the open door. In Acts chapter 11, we're not going to read it, but I'll just tell you what happened. The apostles at Jerusalem, this is the next chapter, they questioned Peter, and they're like, okay, we heard about this Cornelius thing. What's going on? We want to know about it. Peter tells them the story. He says, hey, I saw him get the Holy Ghost just like we did. God poured it out on him. And they said, well, okay, this is for the Gentiles too. And then the shift happened, and they started sending people to to these other places to preach to the Gentiles. It wasn't just for the Jews anymore. So what Cornelius did with his response, with his hunger, he opened the door for an entire shift in revival. Now it was really going to be the whole gospel to the whole world. It was really going to be go ye into all nations. There were no conditions anymore. It was for everybody. One man. One open door. Prophecy was fulfilled. And the whole world felt the impact. One man. One person saying, I'll be the door. I'll be the door. But what about your family. What about the promises given to your family? What about promises given to your city? What about the harvest that has been prophesied but has yet to come to pass? Is it just possible that God's looking down just like he did for 10 years? 10 years after the day of Pentecost, is it possible that he's just looking and he's saying, if I can just find an open door, if I can find somebody who's hungry enough to be the open door, here comes prophecy. Here comes the promise. Here comes revival. Here comes the harvest. If there's just one person who's willing to be the one standing in the gap, right, and say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. Pastor sent out, he released it on Sunday, a call to prayer and fasting. He released it. We felt it. What if one person just said, I'm going to get a hold of it. And you know what? My life's going to be changed. My family's life is going to be changed. Everybody around me is going to feel the impact of my response. I hear the call. The choosing is up to me. The choosing is up to me. Am I going to put on the garment? Am I going to put on prayer? Am I going to put on giving? 
Am I going to put on fasting? Am I going to let my lifestyle be completely changed so that I can be an open door? And God can bring about that promise through me. Is there anybody here who will say, pick me, Jesus? Pick me, Jesus. I'll be the open door. I'll give. I'll pray. I'll fast. God, I'll live right. I'll go all in. Our prayers have got to start going beyond what God can do just for us, but what God can do through us. There is a move. There is a dominion. There is a dimension that God wants to release in this church, but he's not going to release it on us. It's going to be through us. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's going to be through us, and it's going to take saying, you know what? I'm going to pray. I'm going to be the one who's going to pray. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the one to fast. I'm not going to say, oh, well, pastor's going to do that, or sister Pearson's going to do that, or somebody else is going to handle. No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the one to do it. I'm going to be the one to be the open door. Would you stand all over this house? I know it's been a short word, but I felt like it was what God gave me for tonight. I felt it burning in my spirit. That especially after Sunday, somebody needed to hear this call go forth. There is a call happening in this hour. And if you're, if you're into prayer, if you're feeling what I'm feeling, you know there is something going forth right now. There's a stirring that's happening in our midst. And we've got to go after it. Would you raise your hands and pray with me all over this house? Lord God, I release it. I release it over this body of believers. God, that hunger for you. God, give us the hunger of Cornelius. Give us the hunger of someone who's willing to respond with prayer, with fasting, with giving. God, I'll go. Pick me, Lord God. I'll be the one. God, let me be an open door for you to flow through, God, for prophecy to come to pass, for the harvest to come down, for the latter rain to fall in Jesus' name, Lord God. If you're willing to be that open door, I want you to just come to the front right now. We don't have to spend a lot of time in prayer, but I want you to come up here. I want you to just either you kneel down or raise your hands, whatever you want to do, all over this house and say, God, let it be me. I'm willing. I'm willing. Is anybody a willing vessel tonight? God, I'm willing. Lord, use me, Jesus. Let me be the open door. Let it pour out on my family. Let it pour out on my neighbors. Let it pour out on my workplace, God. Let it pour out in my school, Lord God. Let it flow through me, Jesus, that your promises would come to pass. Your will be done. Your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Oh, do it in this house, Lord God. Oh, do it in this house, Jesus. God, let the call go forth. Let it go forth in hearts from the oldest to the youngest, Jesus. Let us hear that call for your will, that call for your kingdom, Jesus. Have your way in us, God. Lord, let us not be content, Lord, with just your blessing, your provision, your protection. Oh, but let us get a hold of your purpose, God. Yes. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. You can use anything, Lord. You can use me. Take my hands, Lord. Take my feet. Touch my heart, Lord. Speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you can use. your hands toward these children tonight. God, use these children, Lord God, to be an open door for you, Jesus. Oh, let revival come through them, Lord God. Oh, there's got a great destiny for them, Jesus.
So take my hands, take my feet, touch my heart, Lord, speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Are you thankful for the Lord tonight? I'm so thankful for his grace and his mercy. Oh, anybody else made a lot of vows to God and then you've fallen short, but he's so faithful. He's so faithful. Yeah, he's so merciful. Oh, I still feel him moving in this house. he's spoken a word to me tonight. I hope he's spoken a word to each of you. I felt his presence here in such a mighty way. As we go out of this place, let's just thank him one more time. Thank you, Jesus. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. Thank you. Thank you for your long suffering with us, God. Thank you for your patience with us, God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. I want you to shake hands and be friendly, greet one another, and we'll see you on Sunday. We'll have prayer at 1115, Sunday school at noon, and our main service at 1 p.m. Y'all be blessed and have a good night.